BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the super light tree runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the super light tree runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a super light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Winning Cures Everything. Now for your hosts, Gary and Chris. Welcome in. Winning Cures Everything. It is the Monday, June 27th edition of the show. I'm your host, Gary Seegers. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter at GaryWCE. And if you would so kindly, go ahead and do us a favor. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure and like the video and subscribe to the channel. That will certainly help us out. And along with that, uh, if you would, subscribe to the podcast. If you're listening, go ahead and knock that out. Want to start off today with a little bit of news. And I'm sure that some of you have noticed uh, the last three weeks, Chris has not been on the show and for about the past year, he has not been on video on the show, other than when we would do our Sunday recaps and then a spot here and there and whatnot. Well, we've talked about it on the show. Chris bought a uh, another business, and that has taken up quite a bit of time. And, you know, look, July of 2016, he reached out to me. I already had winningcureseverything.com. It was a written site. It was something that I had been working on since about 2012. And I had thought at the time, because that was about the time that my rock band got off the road. I had thought at that time, hey, you know, a podcast would be something I would be interested in doing. We didn't really have the gear to do it. So our first podcast was released in the middle of August in 2016, less than a month before my wedding. 
So, <laughs> so we really hit the ground running. We got an idea of what we wanted to do. Uh, but he reached out to me and asked, you know, hey, would you like to start a podcast? And I said, sure. Like, why not? This seems like a pretty good idea. I think I could get into this. Going from being on stage frequently to not being in front of a microphone for anything was kind of, uh, I don't even know what the word would be, a buzzkill in a way. So Chris uh, gave me the opportunity to, you know, gather with a friend. And, you know, because Chris and I have known each other since elementary school. We used to go over to each other's houses and watch uh, WrestleManias and, and any anything that we could find that was professional wrestling back then. But we also enjoyed sports. We played t-ball together. We played coaches pitch together. We, we did all kinds of things back in the day. But, uh, but, yeah, we had grown apart when I was traveling and touring and all that. And he had been at home building his business. And now he has two businesses and has let me know that he just does not necessarily have the time. It's not that he doesn't want to. Uh, it is very difficult for him to be able to come in and do the show. And I understand because it takes a lot of time and effort. So uh, it is a bit of, you know, the end of an era. Chris and I did well over a thousand shows together. Uh, we're doing multiple a week. We did, at one point during the pandemic, we did a hour to an hour and a half show every single day. So, yeah, we could we could continue to do this. We don't make uh, really any money from this. We get a couple of sponsorships here and there, but but this is a passion project. And you know, if you don't have time for it, it makes perfect sense. So I'm going to keep the show rolling. Eventually, I'm sure that we will have Chris back on, uh, you know, in guest spots here and there. But uh, but the show must go on. We will continue doing this, or at least I will. And we'll have some news in the coming days, in the coming weeks, etc. But for now, you're just going to get me, and I hope that you're okay with that. So, we'll uh, we'll dive off of that and actually get into some news. Obviously, we'll miss Chris. Uh, you can send your well wishes to him on Twitter, at Chris B. Giannini. And, yeah, uh, I am certainly going to miss having him to go back and forth with on the show. So, let him know. Uh, let him know you miss him, and you would love for him to come back on the show. Etc. So I'm curious, you know, this is a creative outlet. I'm, I'm curious what he will be doing next time whenever he gets in front of a microphone because uh, he's really good at it. I mean, the, uh, the Italian passion comes out. He is a lot of fun. All right, let's talk about the news of the weekend. And what a weekend it was. Good gracious, uh, baseball, football, etc. There is no offseason in college football. We all know that. We're going to start with the biggest topic in the college football world, which was Jaden Rashada, a four-star quarterback, top 30 uh, player at, uh, at 247, he announced that he is going to Miami. Now, just a few weeks ago, I and I believe myself and everybody else thought that he was certainly a Florida lean. He's a California quarterback. But after he committed to Miami, it came out uh, from on three, and this was Jeremy Crabtree that was reporting. But front office sports did a really good job of, you know, kind of narrowing it down, it giving you the basics. They gave you a good summary here. It says 2023 quarterback Jaden Rashada has reportedly agreed to an NIL deal with Miami booster John Ruiz worth $9.5 million. Now, we talked about how crazy it was that Nico uh, Yamalieva the Tennessee commit 
was getting an $8 million deal. But in this situation, this four-star quarterback, not even a five-star quarterback, is getting $9.5 million, and it is believed to be the largest NIL deal to date. Uh, the four-star turned down an $11 million offer from Florida's Gator Collective to commit to the U. Now, we will jump into this because Ruiz and the Gator Collective and the lawyer have all said, or they've all denied the reports that they have talked, that anything has even happened. The, it says Boogainer Booster John Ruiz, the Gator Collective, have denied reported conversations with lawyer Mike Caspino, who is basically the NIL lawyer, the NIL uh, management for Jaden Rashada. Uh, but this, John Ruiz said, the report uh, by ON3 is inaccurate. I have never spoken to Mr. Caspino about Jaden Rashada. Mr. Caspino and I have spoke about an unrelated player months ago, and I have a very or I had a very professional and pleasant conversation. I respect him. Caspino said Mr. Ruiz is correct. I have never ever spoken to him about Jaden Rashada. In fact, ninety percent of our discussions have been about our amazing kids. Uh, we both share something in common. We are deeply proud of our adult children. Now, on top of that, the Gator Collective came out and said the recent comments by the lawyer. Uh, have been brought to our attention. Gator Collective have never had any communications with him about Jaden Rashada. Uh, rather, Gator Collective has refused to engage in any dialogue with Mr. Caspino on numerous occasions as the Gator Collective does not approve of his tactics and has no interest in engaging in activities which violate Florida law and NCAA interim policy and may put athletes' eligibility at risk. This is absolutely bonkers. Uh, Jaden Rashada in December, signed one of the first NIL deals for a high schooler, which was just a four-figure sum with recruiting app Air. Uh, he did his own research and hired an NIL advisor. Uh, and now, apparently, it's uh, $9.5 million for a four-star quarterback. So, I... Now, remember, this is a, a kid from California that is going all the way over to Miami to play. Somebody somewhere said something and it got out and now they're all trying to backtrack because this is an inducement. Absolutely an inducement. Now, I don't know that it's necessarily against Florida law, but I guess it would be if it's if you're paying a high schooler, right? Like if this money is not going to come to him until he gets to the school, one, yes, that's an inducement. Two, I don't think it would break state law at that point. Regardless, what are we doing? I don't even know what sport we're watching anymore. This, I've never, I could not imagine that. We just talked last year about what a big deal it was that Bryce Young, who just won a Heisman Trophy, uh, got a million dollars in NIL deals. I have got something in my eye. Good gracious. We, We talked about how huge that was for a college student to get a million dollars. And now, less than a year later, we're looking at a four-star quarterback that's that's apparently worth, not, and obviously this is all hearsay, this is all whatever, but apparently $9.5 million? At what, the, you, we know that this model is not sustainable. You cannot keep doing this because there is no real return on investment. You'll get something back. Can you possibly get $10 million back? I doubt it. So at some point, you're not going to be able to keep up these kinds of numbers. But man, this is bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. 
is a four-star quarterback worth $10 million? My answer would be no. I'm curious what you guys think. Jump into the YouTube comments. I want to know your thoughts on this. Uh, I, I mean, obviously we've had a lot of California quarterbacks go across the country. Uh, Bryce Young, etc. I mean, it, we, we all know how this goes. The kids that take football seriously come over to the Southeast because they take football a little bit more seriously out here. And that is not saying anything against USC or Washington or Oregon, etc. Right? I'm just saying that the vast majority of NFL players, to get you ready for the NFL, you're going to come over and play in Clemson. You're going to play at Ohio State. You're going to play at Alabama, Georgia, Miami, Florida, Texas A&M, LSA, whatever, right? Majority SEC schools and whatnot, it will get you more prepared for the NFL. But when you're when you're getting into these kinds of numbers to pay players to come play for you, that's a whole different thing. And now on the other side, this Gator Collective, uh, there are a lot of people that are frustrated with Billy Napier already, and he hasn't even coached a game yet. And I don't think that it is Billy Napier's fault that they were not able to get this done with this kid. He said a couple of months ago, or last month, I guess it was, that they are not going to get into bidding wars. Do I necessarily believe that they offered $11 million and this kid left it on the table so he could go play for Mario Cristobal? I doubt it. I seriously doubt it because it doesn't seem like something that would actually happen unless they didn't know where the money was going to come from or they didn't think that it was a real offer, right? One or the other. Regardless, I wonder if Florida is going to be able to gather this thing up correctly because we see that Miami is doing it at a, I mean, just at warp speed. They are building this thing quickly and they understand how to, uh, the NCAA is not going to do anything, right? They're not going to be able to do anything because as soon as they try and penalize Miami or A&M or whoever else, that thing's going to go back to court and they are going to get shut down again. So the NCAA cannot enforce their own rules here. I <laughs> this, this whole thing is so nuts. It's so absolutely nuts. Regardless, Florida fans, Miami fans, I want you in the comments. I want you to tell me, is this guy worth $10 million? That's what I want to know. This is a four-star quarterback that there are multiple quarterbacks that are rated higher than him in this class. And yes, a lot of them have already decided where they're going to go. But $10 million for a four-star quarterback. Yes, if you hit on the position, that's one thing. But I'm curious what the contract looks like. If he doesn't pan out, we've seen a ton of four-star quarterbacks not pan out. We've seen a bunch of five-stars not pan out. If if he doesn't immediately improve the offense, what happens? Does he continue to collect checks? I mean, I would imagine not. But this ain't the NFL. I, I, I don't know how... Uh, you would be able to take any of those things to court or anything. So I I have no idea. I have absolutely no idea what to expect from this. Uh, we'll move on from there. And I, I, don't wanna, I didn't mean to spend as long on that as I did. But regardless, uh, Bill Clark has, has decided to retire as the head coach at UAB. And he explained it on Friday, had a really... Uh, interesting in-depth press conference, very emotional, didn't necessarily want to retire. He's only 53 years old. But what he's done at UAB, 
since coming over from Jacksonville State. Remember, he stayed there with them. He coached one season. They went 6-6, six and six, vastly improved that football team. And then the Board of Trustees, which Chris always has to, has to dig on my Alabama. Uh, but the Board of Trustees decided to dissolve the UAB football program because it was costing so much money, right? It was, it was a, a time suck, a money well. It was just, it, they, there was no purpose in it because nobody was coming to the games. Nobody supported the program. And they went six and six, and they started to draw some fans a little bit in that first year for Bill Clark. They took the program away for two years. He came back and stayed with them, wanted to stay there. And they have won CUSA championships. They immediately started winning games and whatnot. Uh, But he's leaving due to a back injury that he apparently suffered when he was in high school. And it was from weightlifting, which is kind of terrifying when you think about it. But it's a back injury that is going to... He did a lot of different things with this to try and do therapy and different procedures, etc. And nothing worked. He's uh, It's pinching a nerve, and apparently the pain is just unbearable. So the only solution is a spinal fusion, which is going to put him out for about six months. And you never know how those things are going to go. Like, if it goes insanely well, he could be back coaching next year. But he also doesn't want to put UAB in the position of hey, can you wait on me for an entire year? So he went ahead and retired, and if he can come back, then he will. Now, we have seen back issues cause a lot of good coaches to leave their jobs. Dad Mata, when he was at Ohio State, his back his back issues continued to go down. This is in basketball, uh, to the point where he couldn't recruit anymore. He just he was not good at the job because he was in constant pain. Uh Mike Krzyzewski, right? Coach K missed an entire year because of back issues. I mean, there's just a ton that goes into it. Uh, but I did want to point out here exactly how good this guy is. There was a a blog over at Pistols, Pistols Fire blog, I believe it is. It's an Oklahoma State thing. Mike Gundy said that Bill Snyder is the best football coach of all time because of what he was able to do at Kansas State. If you look at Kansas State's winning percentage without him and then their winning percentage with him, it was a whole different deal, right? In this situation, I looked up the numbers. Bill Clark, now this has only been an FBS program since 1996, so we don't have a ton of history to go on here. But Bill Clark went 49-26 and in six years as the head coach. That's 65.3%. He took them to four of their five bowl appearances all time. Um, Got them their first ever bowl win. And then, of course, goes out with a win over BYU last season in the bowl game. But uh, 65.3% winning percentage with Bill Clark as head coach. With the other three coaches, uh, Watson Brown, Neil Calloway, and Garrett McGee, 80 and 129. That's a 38.3%. I mean, you're, you're looking at a basically 30% improvement. That is mind-boggling. Like, jumping from 38.3 up to 65.3, yeah, you're you're almost doubling your win percentage. <laughs> it's it's mind-blowing uh, what he was able to do there. So we are certainly going to miss him. He, uh, he was a covering machine 
I mean, this man was awesome at covering football games, so we're certainly going to miss that. Uh, the UAB staff is still intact and all that, but I'm curious. Uh, you know, we saw this with Ohio last year. When Frank Solich left, they were expected to contend for a MAC title. He left. Tim Albin came in as the offensive coordinator slash head coach and was just given the job, and they fell apart. Absolutely fell apart. So I don't know what to think about this, um, but I sure hate it. And I hope he comes back healthy, and I hope everything goes well for him. Moving on from there, we have transfer portal news. Of course we do, because why wouldn't we? K.D. Davis. North Texas linebacker. He He's going to be a grad senior a graduate senior, graduate student, whatever you want to call it. So he is able to transfer. Now, because we know that the cutoff was May 1st, if you wanted to transfer and play immediately for this season, but that does not apply to grad transfers. Well, he entered his name in the portal late last Thursday and has already visited Texas A&M. He has already visited Ole Miss, and there's already a crystal ball uh, prediction, or a couple of them, both of which say that he is going to go play at Ole Miss this season. I don't know if I like this, right? And I understand if you're a grad student, you should be able to go everywhere. And I do believe that kids should be able to go play where they want to play. I get that. But it just seems weird when you go through fall practice, you get into the summer, etc. It It seems like something either happened at North Texas that he didn't like or... He was induced by somebody else to enter into the portal. Hey, you had 121 tackles. You led the conference in tackles last year. You were uh, a borderline All-American at linebacker last year. You could really help somebody. Why don't you put your name in the market and see what you can get? And I did find it interesting that, of course, his first visit was to Texas A&M, and then his second visit is to the transfer portal king himself, Lane Kiffin. I... I feel really weird about all of this. Every time this happens, I thought it would get easier. I thought I would get a little more comfortable with it. I have not. I have not. Whoever he goes to is getting a massive upgrade to that position because this kid is an absolute stud. He is awesome. Like I said, 121 tackles last year. He led that North Texas defense, and that was the reason why North Texas was able to get into a bowl game last year. He turned around Seth Luttrell's season because they opened up and were dog crap. I mean, just awful. And at the end of the season, big winning streak. They were the ones that knocked off UTSA. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty nuts. Pretty nuts. All right. Dive off of KD Davis. And we are going to discuss, only for a minute, just wanted to say congratulations. These are quick news hits. But... Congratulations to the Ole Miss Rebels. They win the last game 4-2, to two, but they, they won 10-3 to three on Saturday. But yeah, Ole Miss wins a national title in baseball. Now, how entertaining is this, right? We have got all kinds of, uh, all kinds of stuff that goes on in College World Series. Uh, not College World, in the NCAA baseball tournament. Ole Miss was the last team in the field, or one of the last ones, this is effectively a 16 seed winning a national title. I, you got me. Like Ole Miss started out 
as a highly ranked team and then had a lot go wrong during the season. They barely got into the tournament. But you give a team like that that's got obvious talent and they can figure out their pitching as they go, yeah. I mean, Mike Bianchi was going to uh, Bianco. Bianchi? Bianco? I can't remember. Uh, regardless, the coach. He's been there since like 2001. It's been a very long time. And there was talk about him being fired after this season because of how poorly the season went. And you can turn that around by going to win a national title, right? I mean, that's <laughs> absolutely mind-blowing what they were able to do. All right, uh, along with that, let's go over to uh, Notre Dame News. All right, write my times down here. The freshman running back, Jadarian Price, uh, ruptured his Achilles on Friday. Uh, he is going to be out. His Achilles tendon, he's going to be out all season. Um, I mean, this is rough. This is a tough one to come back from. Uh, we saw it with uh, Kevin Durant, etc. But the issue here is if you rupture your Achilles, how does that affect you, one, as a runner, and two, when you're playing football? Like, it, it is really difficult to come back from this. Um, it says that, you know, and, and he was a, a big-time recruit. Like, Notre Dame was going to be using him this year, and now they're not. So I I hate this for him. Um, we'll have to keep up with it. We'll have to see what happens. How does this affect Notre Dame this season? Uh, we saw Alabama last season lost three of their top four running backs. Uh, it was very difficult to get a running game going when you don't have fresh backs. So... We'll see what happens with that. Also, uh, five-star cornerback, Tony Mitchell. He has decided to commit to Alabama. Now, it makes sense because he is from, I believe he's from Alabaster, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Let's see, it doesn't say. Uh, but he, I think he's from Alabaster, Alabama. So, of course, this one makes perfect sense. But he chose the Tide over A&M, Georgia, Auburn, etc. Uh, absolute stud. Absolute stud at cornerback. So the uh, five stars continue to roll in for Alabama. Texas also, by the way, had a pretty big showing as far as recruits go over the weekend. Uh, I think they they got like an entire class's worth of offensive linemen. I think it was like two three stars and two four stars coming in and just had a slew of commits over the weekend. So I don't know what was so crazy about this weekend, why so many people decided to announce their commitment this go-round, I guess before the dead period, but uh, regardless, that's what's going on. Of course, Elite 11 is going on out in California this week, so there's a, there's a bunch to go detail once I guess we get to the show on Thursday. So, uh, with that said, let's hit some ads, and we'll be back with the Pac-12 South previews. Let's take a break from the show for just a minute to give you some info on things you should know about. Visit winningcureseverything.com to find everything you need to know about us, including full shows in video or podcast form, our gambling picks, our store, the gear we use, and more. Subscribe to us on YouTube to get not only the full shows, but individual segments, along with other goodies as well. We're over 5,600 subscribers right now, and our goal by the end of football season is 7,500. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever's your favorite podcast app. And if your app allows it, leave a five-star written review. Visit the Winning Cures Everything web store to get all kinds of football shirts, hats, hoodies, coffee mugs, and more. You can visit winningcureseverything.com store and see what all we've added. 
And now, back to the show. The Pac-12 South, and yes, I understand that this is no longer really a division. We know what this was beforehand. We know what teams were in this division. But the Pac-12 is going divisionless going forward. Now, the schedule remains the same. They are still going to play all the same teams, etc. I had a really difficult time trying to, to nail down what I think of the predictions of these teams. This could be a bit of a crapshoot this year. I don't know how we're going to get to some of these records, etc., but but we're going to go ahead and talk about it. We are going to discuss exactly what's going on in the Pac-12 and specifically the South version of this. We will start off with the Utah Utes. Last year, 10-4, and four, made it to a Rose Bowl, won the Pac-12. Uh, honestly, it was the beginning of last season that really hurt the record because they probably should have only had maybe one loss, two losses, somewhere around there. Uh, the loss to Ohio State in the bowl game, if Cam Rising doesn't get hurt, I think there's a chance they could really win that game. Uh, the loss to San Diego State, if they had played Cam Rising for the entire ball game, I think they win that game in regulation and they don't lose it in overtime, etc. So I think uh, there's a lot that you can look at from last season and feel really good about, especially coming into this season. 66% returning production here for Kyle Whittingham's bunch. Uh, this is a team that returns quite a bit on offense. 73%. Uh, let's see. Let's go over this. Their win total is 9 for this year. Uh, odds to win the conference, um, 2.75 to 1 or plus 275. Somewhere around there. And that's a pretty decent odds. Pretty decent odds. Projected favorites in 9 games. They got 5 toss-ups this year. Uh, the offensive coordinator, Andy Ludwig, has been awesome since he came back. Uh, and I think he was kind of kind of Derek Mason's downfall at Vandy because Ledwig was at Vandy, and they were doing pretty decent. Uh, remember, I mean, he, he had Vanderbilt in bowl games like Derek Mason did. So regardless, last year Utah, actually a better offensive performance than defensive performance. A little strange, right? Uh, number 17 in PPA per drive on offense, number 33 on defense, Look, this is a well-coached team. Number 25 in penalties per game. Uh, turnover margin was a bit of an issue, but when you get a little more risk-heavy in your offense, you're going you're gonna to have turnovers. That's just bound to happen. Uh, on offense, Rising took over. The offense averaged 39 points per game over the last 10 games. They were number 13 in passing success rate, and they returned the wide receivers, uh, Vele and the tight ends, Quit uh, and... Uh, uh, Kincaid, Dalton Kincaid. Uh, number 30, rushing success. Could actually increase with the running backs, Thomas and Bernard coming back, along with definitely a top 20 offensive line, and they could be even better than that. So, rushing success rate was number 30 last year. I, I expect it to be a little bit better this go-round. Uh, as far as the defense, we all know what to expect from a Whittingham defense. Six starters gone, but Fillinger and Tafuna, a return to the defensive line. The cornerbacks, Phillips and Vaughn, are great. Linebacker Gabe Reed transfers over from Stanford. The safeties, Bishop and Vaughn, could be ready to turn into stars as sophomores. Like, this is typically your biggest learning curve right here. It's when you show the most improvement, the most growth, is from your freshman to sophomore year. I I, I think they're going to be awesome. Uh, all Pac-12 cornerback, uh, Jatravius Bruton, is back healthy as well. Remember, he was really, really good in 2020, and then had to miss last season. He's back again. So, uh, defense has... Star players. They got a lot of good dudes. 
top players here, Cam Rising, of course, Thomas, the running back, uh, you know, the two tight ends. You got the cornerback, Phillips, Gabe Reed coming over from Stanford. That is a huge deal uh, because he's really going to fill in a hole there. Keys to the season. They were number seven in field position last year. Uh, that is, you need to maintain that. And they've typically been pretty good at that metric. Number 25 in points per scoring opportunity, number seven in points per play. The offense was light out last year, and I expect them to be again with Cam Rising. Uh, I know that they are losing, I didn't even put it on here, uh, the linebacker Devin Lloyd. They're losing uh, Tatua. They're losing Nick Ford. They're losing Sewell, etc. cetera. Uh, the wide receiver, uh, Britton. Like, this is, they're losing dudes, but they got guys to replace them. They have built depth. They have developed their players. And I feel really, really good about them. Really good. So good, in fact. Um, oh, I, I put on here, the defense won't be to the highest standards, but they'll be plenty good enough to go with that offense. And I said, this is the epitome of physical football or man ball, if you will, because I expect both lines to be pretty, pretty good. I've got them 11-1. and one. Now, their win total is 9. I feel good about that over. Uh, because I think that nine is the floor. Like, I I look at this, and yeah, there's like five toss-ups, and toss-ups to me are games where uh, it's a one-possession spread. I think when I look at the schedule, it sets up insanely well for them to... I, I understand I've got them losing at Florida. i got them beating everybody else. I got running through the back 12 They kind of did that last year, because once they got on a roll with that offense... Nobody was able to beat them. I think the same thing's going to happen here. I've got them 11-1. and one. I think this is a playoff-caliber team. So, yeah, 11-1 and one for Utah. I think that this team is really, really good. Like, really good. Oh, reminder, by the way, if anybody wants to see those spreadsheets uh, that, I, that I have on the screen with me, they're over on the website. You can go check them out over there. Uh, there's a link in the description to that. So... Go ahead and check that out. Um, we'll move on. We will move on, and this one is a, a tricky one. Very, very tricky. The Arizona State Sun Devils. Herm Edwards went 8-5 and five last year, and they lose basically everybody. Like I, I don't know that the list is, is big enough, right? Linebacker Eric Gentry, Ricky Persall, uh, Jaden Daniels all transferred out. DJ Davidson's gone. Um, the cornerbacks are gone. The defensive end, Tyler Johnson's gone. Rashad White, the running back, he is headed off to the NFL, etc. Like this is a train wreck. They were number one nineteen in returning production. Uh, it's even worse on offense, or I guess it's about the same on offense. Forty four percent returning production on offense. It's they're completely flipping this thing over. It, it's a train wreck because all of the coaches are gone. Like the only coach that wasn't let go due to NCAA rules, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, was. The head coach, Herm Edwards. And tell me how that happens. I mean, I got no idea. Uh, we'll start with the offense here. The new OC is Glenn Thomas. He comes over from UNLV where he wasn't exactly... Uh, he wasn't super successful, but it wasn't like the worst. He he followed Matt Rule from Temple to Baylor. Jumped over to UNLV when Matt Rule went to uh, the NFL. So, like, he, he's been good. He's been around winning programs, so maybe this will work. Uh, the question here on offense, who's the quarterback going to be? Is it Emory Jones or is it Paul Tyson? I would imagine it's Jones uh, because I don't think they would have been looking for a transfer quarterback 
if they thought they had something with Tyson, especially that late in the game. Uh, they're going to rely a lot more on the pass this year after losing so much from that number one rushing success rate team last year. Uh, they were awesome at running the football last year, but they lose a ton of it. Uh, a lot of transfers out, a lot of transfers in. Uh, Wyoming uh, running back Zazavian Valade and Vandy wide receiver Cam Johnson came in as transfers. Uh, the offensive line depth looks fairly strong. You know, they, they've got a lot to figure out here. Just a ton to figure out. Uh, does Glenn Thomas bring a new scheme, or do they continue to run the same thing that they've been doing? And is Brian Billick really calling the shots? Like, is he is he the guy that's really kind of running this ship? I'm curious. Uh, on defense, new DC is Donnie Henderson. He was part of that 2000 Ravens defensive staff, which of course Brian Billick was the head coach, etc. You get the point. Only 55% returning production from a defense that was number 23 in points per play allowed last year. Uh, six new transfers. Very talented. The roster looks good. I mean, it, the defensive roster, according to CFB Winning Edge, number 29 in roster strength in the country. That's pretty good. The offense, not quite to that point, number 59, but regardless. Uh, the front seven should be pretty good this year. But just like everything else on this team, it's a crapshoot trying to figure out, um, you know, exactly how this bunch will gel. With Are there going to be chemistry issues? Are there going to be anything like that? I, I'm very curious. Uh, the keys to the season here, you know, they're projected favorites in eight games, even with all the turnover because of the, you know, all the all the mess. Their win total sits at six and a half. Um, let's talk about the keys first. Ton of turnover on offense. A lot of upperclassmen, new faces, so that that could be good. You got a bunch of seniors that really want to go out on a on a high note. This could either go to the moon or it could crash and burn quickly. Kind of think it's going to crash and burn, but we'll we'll talk about that here in a second. Defense, much the same. Um, obvious strength on the defensive line, but a lot of new faces, so you just got to roll the dice and see what you got, I guess. Uh, along with that, at the schedule, I mean, it has a chance to blow this team up very quickly. In the first six games, they play at Oklahoma State, Utah, at USC, and Washington. I mean, this is, this is tough. This is really, really difficult. Uh, they've got... Eight games that they're projected favorites in, but nine of the 12 games are projected to be within one score. So, yeah, I have a feeling that things are not going to go well. This feels like a dumpster fire. And I don't think I'm alone in thinking that because if you start out early and you get some good wins and you feel good about yourself, you feel like you're playing for something. You start to lose some of those games early. Like, you're going on the road at Oklahoma State in week two. That's going to get tricky. Because then you've got Utah coming up on September 24th at USC on October 1st. And then you play Washington. I I look at this. I see five and seven on the schedule. So, I, I would think the under, which the under is juiced at minus 135 over at BetUS. But this feels like it could go south in a hurry. Uh, I don't know that Herm survives this year. But we will see. We will certainly see. Because that is going to be, I mean, just a tricky situation to navigate. Good gracious. Good gracious. All right. Uh, let's hit one more. We'll take a little break, and then we'll come back and knock out the next three. But we'll move on to the mighty, mighty UCLA Bruins. Now, Chip Kelly Heading into his fifth season here, they went 8-4 and four last year, 
projected, uh, not projected, excuse me, post-game win expectancy actually had them closer to nine wins and only three losses. So, you know, you look at some of these things like penalties per game, they were number 102. Um, turnover, turnover margin was pretty good last year for DTR in that offense. Regardless, uh, let's let's look at this. Their win total sits at eight and a half, uh, juice the same to go over and under. They were projected favorites in 11 games. That's not bad. I mean, really not bad. Um, are the odds there that they will win all of those 11 games? Probably not. They've got five toss-ups. That's games that will be within one score. <sighs> Let's look at this offense here. Number one points per game offense in the Pac-12 last year, 36.5. DTR is back at quarterback. Charbonnet is back at running back. The offensive line has plenty of depth. The question here, of course, wide receiver and tight ends. What is the development process like? What are they going to do this season? Do they have enough of it? Team was number 23 with 88 drives inside the 40 last year, but number 57 with only 3.94 points scored per opportunity. Uh, They were number 32 in red zone conversions. I mean, they were 44 out of 50 in that spot, but they were only number 50 in red zone trips. So what, what that tells me here, if you're number 50 in red zone trips, but you're number 23 in drives inside the 40, you got 88 drives that you made it inside the opponent's 40-yard line, and you've only got 50 trips inside the 20. That means that, let's see, 28 times, 38 times, 38 different times, you made it inside the opponent's 40-yard line, and you didn't get inside the 20. That's crazy to me. It seems like they need to be able to finish some drives. That's all I'm saying. Like, once you get into the red zone, yeah, that's one thing. But you got to improve that this year for sure. Uh, The rushing success was great. The passing success left something to be wanting for sure, number 35. But they, you know, they were okay. They were okay. Uh, The defense here. Defense was a problem. They could run the football. But they couldn't actually stop the run. And that's a bit of an issue. So, uh, number 111 in rushing success right there. Number 84 in PPA per drive. Uh, they're not good. I mean, it's not not being able to stop the run is not good when you play against Arizona State, USC, Utah, etc. Because those teams are going to run the football. And they're going to run a lot. Um, no players are back that reach 200 snaps on the defensive line. That's not good. So, not a lot of experience there. Linebacker looks stacked thanks to transfers and, uh, and Calvert coming back. The secondary depth ain't there. Like, I don't know how this unit improves, and that's kind of an issue. Uh, Chase Cota coming in on the offense is certainly a big deal. Uh, I think he's going to be their number one playmaker. Um, Excuse me. Chase Cota transferred. Who was I looking for? They got somebody in, and I didn't put it down. Okay, you can let me know in the comments. How's that? (laughs) So that we don't waste a bunch of time. Offense is the obvious strength here, looking at the keys. Um... Got to figure out wide receiver and tight end. The biggest thing will be converting more drives inside the opponent 40-yard line, as I was talking about. Defense was a liability last year. Doesn't look like it's improved a lot, especially with number 113 returning production here. I mean, they're only bringing back 48% of their production. Uh, And the transfers that are coming in are good. It's just I don't know that there were enough of them to make a huge difference. Uh, Is there a next level for Chip Kelly at this point? Like, last year, made it to 8-4, and four, made it to a bowl game, ended up not playing in the bowl game, but regardless, um, you know, is this is this what they are? Uh, it's what I'm curious about. I mean, they missed an opportunity to own L.A. 
uh, before USC got their act together, is it just a pretty good program? Is there more that they want to do with this program? Like I've I've got them nine and three. Um, the win total is eight and a half. I you know nine and three, eight and four, somewhere around there. Like that feels about right. I've got them at nine and three with the win over. I've got them beating USC, but I've got a loss to Arizona State, which seems like it'd be fitting, right? Uh, lost to Arizona State, lost to Oregon, lost to Utah. Uh, the non-conference, by the way, they got really smart with this non-conference. Bowling Green, Alabama State, and South Alabama, exactly what you're supposed to be doing. A few years ago, they were playing all kind of different bunches and uh, and couldn't win any of them. So you want to go to bowl games, you want to have good records, yeah, schedule right. Just letting you know. All right, let's hit some of these, and then we'll come back with USC. Let's take a break from the show for just a minute to give you some info on things you should know about. Follow the show on Twitter at Winning Cures, or you can follow the guys at GaryWCE and at Chris B. Giannini, or you can also follow us on Facebook. If you want more content from me, Gary, visit BetUSTV.com. I host the How to Gamble on Sports show and, from August through January, the BetUS College Football Show. You can subscribe to both on YouTube. Got your own podcast or web show, looking to start one, or you're just curious how we look and sound so good? Well, we've got all the gear that we use listed on our gear page on the website. If you order using our links, you'll be supporting the show too. If you're interested in advertising on a show that reaches over 80,000 unique football fans per month during the season, send an email to Gary at winningcureseverything.com and we'll put together a plan that best fits you or your business. And now... Back to the show. All right, so we dive into the USC Trojans and what a ridiculous turnover we have had at Troy. Whew, let's look at the numbers. Last year was not good. Number 104 in PPA margin. Uh, they went 4-8. and eight. Post-game win expectancy actually had them as a four-win team. So it wasn't even like they had a bunch of upsets where they should have won, etc. They just were not a good football team last year. Uh, it, it, this team, after that Stanford loss, there were games where it certainly looked like they just quit. And obviously, I hate using that word, but this team was the epitome of that. They just didn't look like they wanted to be there a lot of the time. Uh, I mean, they, there, there were some games where they actually showed up against BYU late in the season. They certainly showed up and tried to win that game, but also... You turned around late, late on Championship Saturday and played against Cal and had no desire to finish out that season. None whatsoever. So, regardless, uh, they lose some pretty talented players. Drake London, Keontae Ingram, Drake Jackson, uh, Chris Steele is gone. Like, Jacob uh, Lickenstein, like, he's gone. Like, they they lost some good dudes. But, uh, you look at this roster strength, it's number seven overall, number three on offense, number 25 on defense. They brought in a bunch of talent, just a bunch of talent. We'll start off with the offense here. Uh, it's a Lincoln-Riley offense. I mean, come on. You you know exactly what you're going to get here. you got uh, Caleb Williams at quarterback. You've got Jordan Addison and Mario Williams at wide receiver, along with other guys as well. I'm just naming off the, the big names and whatnot. Uh, the running backs, Travis Dye. They also brought in Davis from Stanford. Uh, an offensive line led by uh, the left tackle, Andrew Voorhees. Like, this offense is probably going to be awesome. Now, I say probably because 
These are all just a bunch of pieces that you're trying to meld together into a team. What's the chemistry going to be like, et cetera? I'm really curious. There's no way to look at last season stats and have any idea what this year is going to look like. Uh, but you can look at Oklahoma's a little bit. Oklahoma ran the ball 52.6% of the time. Is USC going to do that with all that star power at wide receiver? Like, that's that's what I'm curious about. They ran it a bunch because they figured out quickly that their passing offense was not quite up to snuff. Caleb Williams has shown signs of brilliance, but going into another season, a, a second season with Lincoln Riley, does he open up that passing game a little bit more does he feel more comfortable throwing the football as opposed to resorting to uh, taking off and running with it? That's what I would like to know. So if he hasn't, like if he's still running the ball like that, uh, I'm very curious, very curious what it's going to look like. Um, on top of that, we'll move on to the defense. This is obviously the weakness. There is talent, obviously, but the offense has the majority of it. Now, on defense, you got a bunch of transfers coming in, 11 new guys. Uh, it's not a lot of star power. It's guys like the linebacker Shane Lee that played at Alabama quite a bit, um, you know, but not not guys that were starting at most places, et cetera. They do have some, regardless. Uh, the defensive line is number 38 in terms of talent. They returned three players with 290-plus snaps, so, you know, there's some experience there coming back, but is that the experience that you want? Uh, what is Alex Grinch going to be able to do with these guys? The linebacker only has one returning player with over 150 snaps. Uh, in the secondary, ton of transfers. Ton of tra- I, you got no idea how these guys are going to meld together, what the chemistry is going to be like, etc. Uh, their projected favorites in 10 games, their win total is 9.5. Uh, just the same for both over at BetUS. Uh, the conference odds, I mean, they are 2-1 to one to win the conference. That might be a bit of a stretch early on. I mean, I know that there's a lot of hype around this program. Uh Let's talk keys to the season here. Completely unprojectable. That's that's the key to the season here. <laughs> Lots of talent, but how does it gel? Uh, you know, D could be good. The vast majority of the talent's on the offense, but if Caleb Williams isn't improved as a passer, then what do you do, right? Are Travis Dye and Austin Davis good enough to carry this offense if they can't get the ball to the receivers? Like, they'll, they'll have to figure out something. And I, I trust Lincoln Riley to have a good offense, for sure. Um, I can't begin to explain how useless last year's numbers are. <laughs> this is a completely different team. Completely different team. Um, 21 transfers, 16 graduates or NFL guys are gone. So that's 37 total players out. And they brought in eight recruits and 19 transfers so far uh, to make 27 in. So they lost 37 guys, and they brought in 27. Uh, the five-game stretch starting in week three is going to determine whether or not this is, team is a Pac-12 title contender. Uh, you got Fresno, you got at Oregon State, Arizona State, Washington State, and at Utah. Like That stretch right there is you're going to figure out what this team is. Uh, the only game that I've got them losing in that stretch is at Utah. I've got them losing at UCLA because I think UCLA has a way more experienced team, et cetera, this season. I expect that to shift. Look at this very much the same way that you saw Nick Saban's first season at Alabama go, right? Tommy Tuberville and the Auburn Tigers beat Alabama in the first year. And then the next year, Alabama crushed them. That's what I kind of see happening here, right? I I think that Lincoln Riley's the new kid on the block. Um, I think he's going to get a win over Notre Dame, et cetera. But as far as the battle for LA goes, Chip Kelly and his experienced team the guys that have been there with him the whole time, 
they are going to want that game much more than I think USC will. So, uh, so I'll give that one to to UCLA, but that, that's still got USC at ten and two. So I mean that goes over. I don't feel great about it. Could I see them losing another game somewhere? Yeah, I could see them losing to Notre Dame. I could see them losing to Washington State, uh, at Oregon State. I mean, hell, Fresno State. Like, there's all kind of stuff. And never count out Stanford, I guess, in in that game in week two. But I would imagine this bunch wants to come in and make a statement because that loss to Stanford is really what lost Clay Hilton his job last year. So that is the way that I would look at that. Um, I mean, this that looks like it's going to be a lot of fun in Troy. But with the defense and a still young, a somewhat young offense, trying to figure out everything in year one. All these guys trying to figure out how to play in the Pac-12. And I know that a bunch of the transfers came from Pac-12 teams. I get that. I just think it's going to be a little more tricky than people want to, uh, than than USC fans want to believe that it will be. So, we'll move on from there. Let's talk about the Colorado Buffaloes. And there ain't a whole lot to talk about with Colorado. Uh, Carl Durrell last year went 4-8. and eight. And the numbers were so bad in this situation. You see that little bit of green right there on your screen. Um, right there, if you can see it. They <laughs> they were number 27 in the country in turnover margin, but they were number 110 in PPA margin. So I'm going to assume that that's how they got to four wins. Their postgame win expectancy said that they should have been a three-win team. Uh they didn't make a lot of sense last year, and they lose a ton. Just an absolute metric ton. Uh, on the defensive line, uh, running back, uh, wide receivers, the cornerbacks, I mean, just everything. They had a bunch of guys transfer out. Uh, they brought in uh, Mike Sanford to be the offensive coordinator. Um, like they, If you didn't include the games that they played against Arizona or FCS teams, their offense only averaged 15.6 points per game. That probably ain't going to cut it. Uh, number 35 in returning production. Uh, experience will be good, I guess, on offense. But they were number 120 in PPA per drive on offense. I mean, this team was not great. Uh, the only really good thing that they had was they were number 85 in rushing success rate. But Jarek Broussard transferred out. So... I mean, their leading pass catcher was the tight end, Russell, with 307 yards receiving. Um, and the leading wide receiver that they had, the actual wide receiver, not a tight end, uh, was Rice, and he transferred out. So, I mean, this isn't exactly promising. Uh, on defense, you know, they fired Tyson Summers last year. Uh, they promote the defense coordinator, Chris Wilson. He was a defensive line coach for Colorado. All they did was promote him up. And he was in the NFL prior to that with the Arizona Cardinals. Linebacker Josh chandler Semedo from West Virginia is the only transfer that's really expected to contribute. Um, they only got three. There's only three of their front seven starters returning for the number 111 uh, yards per rush defense. They lost six of the best players. Last season went from a 3-4 scheme under Tyson Summers to a 4-3 under the D.C. Chris Wilson. Like, this team's going to be young. I, they're, they're projected favorites in zero games. They've got three games that are expected to be within one score. Uh, and most of those, they're actually underdogs by about a touchdown. This, like, what are they doing with that non-conference? Like, I, that non-conference schedule, TCU at Air Force at Minnesota, 
I mean, this looks like somebody set them up to fail. This is like Georgia Tech all over again. Uh, only Cal has a lower-rated Pac-12 roster. Like, to give you an example of how bad the team was, they gained 13 turnovers last year. They lost only seven, and they still were awful. Like, they were still 4-8. and eight. So, uh, brutal opening and closing four-game stretches here. I don't know what Carl Durrell's next step is. I don't know what the process is to get better. Uh, it's starting to crumble in year three. You look at this schedule, I've got them 0-12. Now, the numbers would say that they should win about three ball games, but you got three toss-ups here. The way that everything shakes out, I I got nothing. I couldn't, I couldn't find a win on the schedule. I think they'll get one somewhere when we least expect it. But, like, this team was really bad. And I don't think that the coaching hires are great. And I don't I don't feel good about this team. I will certainly say that. And, and if you're a Colorado fan, I want you to jump in and tell me. Like, what is there to be excited about? Like, this was a less than inspired hire when it happened. Obviously, it was late in the game when Mel Tucker went to Michigan State. But we see what Michigan State is doing. Colorado, and I understand the desire to be a football power is different at Michigan State as opposed to Colorado. But does like does Colorado just not care at all? Where is the investment from the program? Where where are the expectations from the higher ups? What my question is: What is Carl Durrell doing? Like I understand that you need help from from the higher ups. You need help from your boosters, etc. I mean. What, I don't. I don't understand the moves. I really don't have any idea what what the moves are. Um, I mean, it's just mind blowing. Now, polar opposite here. Let's go over to Arizona. And Jed Fish went one and eleven last year. That is three wins less than Colorado. But I expect him to have more wins than Colorado this year because I don't think Colorado will have any. Um, 1.89 post-game win expectancy last year, so they expected them to be closer to 2-10 and 10 as opposed to 1-11, and 11. Uh, but they had a really difficult non-conference last year. They're doing it again this year. I mean, just, what are you doing? This is ridiculous. Um, I do feel good about them. I do. I, I think they win a couple of those non-conference games. Now, would it shock me if they don't? Not in the slightest. But I think that they have upgraded the talent here. They're up to number 68 roster in the country number 58 on offense, number 74 on defense. They've got 20, uh, excuse me, the number 23 returning offense in the country, 77% is coming back. Um, I look at this, like the offensive coordinator, Brennan Carroll was an offensive line coach for the Seahawks for five years. Uh, the quarterbacks coming in, Jaden DeLara, and then of course the recruit, uh, Noah Fafita, who looks like he's going to be a stud. That, that should be big improvement at the quarterback position where they were number 108 in passing success rate last year. Number 110 in QBR in 21. You should expect a youth movement on offense for sure. 19 freshmen or sophomores expected to be on the offensive two deep. Like Now, that includes uh, uh, cowing the wide receiver uh, from Utah. But the talent upgrade is, is pretty obvious here. Like They've got some players that just got to get them to gel right. They got to get them to develop right. Uh, on defense, Don Brown took the UMass head coaching job. New D.C. is Johnny Nansen, who is a defensive line coach at UCLA. Think he'll be okay. We'll see. I mean, Don Brown was very aggressive. I ex- I expect uh, Nansen to kind of play a little more off the ball, a little more 
that you know come to us as opposed to we're going to take you down. But we'll we'll see. We'll see what that looks like. The offense could dictate a lot of this as well. Uh, Arizona's defense allowed 371 yards per game in 21, first time since 2010 that it was less than 400. That's that's 11 seasons. That's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Uh, the nose guards, uh, Bars and Harris, um, those guys are, are studs on the defensive line. One's a defensive end. Excuse me, Harris is a defensive end. Uh, number 76 rushing success rate should improve with the transfers, you know, linebackers, Eccles, Solomon, Mercier, uh, seven defensive backs return with 350-plus snaps. Pass defense is going to be fine. I mean, they were number 39 with passing success rate on defense. So I feel good about that. They're only projected favorites in one game. Their win total is 2.5. To go over is juiced at minus 170 over at BetUS. I, I wouldn't bet the conference odds. You know, plus 250. Um, or no, sorry, 250 to 1. That's a, that's a lot different. They ain't going to win the conference this year. I'll tell you that. Uh, but Jaden Delara coming in for Washington State, certainly a step up at quarterback. They, they've got some good things going on. They were dead last in turnover margin last year. They were number 129 in penalties per game. They can improve if those are not cleaned up. you got to find a way to not beat yourself. How does the offense look with actual capable quarterbacks? Like I was just saying, with Jaden Delara, et cetera. Are they going to shock everyone and come out firing? Uh, the ratio was basically 50-50 rush to pass last year. Jed Fish in the NFL, like I think he understands that you've got to be able to run the football somewhat. But as far as the college game goes, like you got to run whatever the other team can't stop. So if you are really good at throwing the football, you better be slinging it. Still a building process, but the roster looks capable of competing this year. Uh, curious to see what they're going to end up doing next. I don't expect a ton of wins. I've got them sitting at 3-9. and nine. Uh, But those wins are over San Diego State, North Dakota State, and Colorado. I'd swap them around. I, I expect about three wins this year. Like I said, win total is two and a half. I expect them to get over that, and it's highly juiced at that. So obviously Vegas expects that as well. Bet US whatnot, but three and nine looks about right. That's the uh, the way that I would go. That is the way that I would go with it. I, I like Arizona. I'm curious what they're going to end up doing. So, with that said, I think we are going to go ahead and get out of here. You guys have been fantastic. Jump into the comments on YouTube. Please subscribe to the show. Show your support. Go ahead and share the show out. Tell a friend, all that. And, of course, you can follow at GaryWCE or at Winning Cures for that. We got news coming up. We'll do all kind of stuff. We're going to miss Chris. Uh, We'll have him back on at some point. I'm sure he'll get a break from working and whatnot eventually. But, but yes, we are going to get out of here for now. And then we are going to hit on, let's see, uh, the ACC Atlantic on Thursday. That's the plan. So, I'm sure much will happen between now and then. (laughs) For now, though, you guys take care of yourself. Take care of each other. And hopefully, hopefully, all of your tickets cash this week. Thanks for listening to the Winning Cures Everything podcast. The website is winningcureseverything.com. And if you want to connect with us, we're on Twitter, at GaryWCE, at ChrisBGiannini, at Winning Cures. Or you can email us, Gary at winningcureseverything.com, or Chris at winningcureseverything.com. Subscribe everywhere you need to subscribe, and we'll see you soon. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort.
Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.